Good morning. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? He is the only king, the one and the only king forever and ever. He is the almighty God that we lift higher and higher. We can sing about that this morning.
seated. Philippians 2 says this, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the God we worship this Ooh, morning. Ooh, preach, buddy. Have you ever thought about preaching? That's pretty good. Uh, we're so glad that you're here, and uh, we want to welcome you. And if you are a guest with us, we're especially glad that you are here. We'd love to get to know you. And a great way that we can connect is through the guest registration card that's located there in front of you. If you could fill that out for us, there's a spot if you'd like to receive our newsletter. Or if you have a prayer request, we would love to be able to pray for you. So then after our service, the way we get that back is that you can just walk through these double doors, hang a left, and walk over to the Welcome Center. There's a black box there. You can drop that in or you can hand it to a pastor. And then we have a small gift for you that we'd love to give you for being a part of our service this morning. But as we continue to worship, we just want to take a moment to slow down and to remember why we're here. So let's take a moment to bow our heads and pray to the God that we are worshiping and take a moment to connect with him as, as we continue. God, I thank you for the opportunity to worship. We know that around the world there are many of our brothers and sisters who can't do what we are doing. So, Father, we consider it a privilege and an honor to be able to gather. Father, may we never take this privilege for granted. And this morning, may we lift high your name. And God, may you be pleased with our worship. May it be a blessing to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Oh, we are praying that the Lord will open up the heavens. Will you stand and let's sing together. Open up the heavens.
you have a seat for a second? Did you know in, in the back of the hymnal, there's kind of an interesting section in the back of the hymnal, and it's, it's the alphabetic index of tunes. Uh, in, in, if you ever, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you look at those little things in the back, they have numbers by them? And like the song Amazing Grace, those little numbers, uh, it, it's, it's called common meter. It's 8686. And what, what that means is it's got eight syllables per phrase. It's, it's poetic meter, right? So you got amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's eight. That saved a wretch like me. Six. And the rest of it's the same way. So they put that in there because, you know, back in the day, what they would do is they actually had a name for the, the text, and then they had a name for the tune. So, for instance, the song Amazing Grace. It, it's, it's a poem uh, written by John Newton. Uh, the poem is called Amazing Grace. I, actually, I think it might even be called Grace, now that I think about it. But the tune, the tune is called New Britain. And so what they would do back in the day, a lot of times it was preachers who wrote these, t these poems, and not all of them were musicians. And so what they would do is they'd take a, a popular a folk song and sometimes even songs from pubs because back then the, the place where they got all the news was in the gathering in the pubs. And they would take these songs that were popular and they would put the tunes to those, put those, those texts to those tunes. And so, anyway, so in the back of the hymnal, we got that 8686 common meter, which means that you could put it with other tunes that have 8686 meter. Okay? You with me? You following me so far? So what we thought we would do is we would take a popular song from today and put Amazing Grace to a tune that also has 8686 meter. Okay? You ready? So here it is. This is Amazing Grace to another tune that has 8686 meter. Just stand up, and you'll know it, you'll know it when we sing it. Here we go.
fun. Yeah, yeah. All my hope is in Jesus. I love this song and I love to hear Johnny sing it. I pray it'll bless your heart. I know it does. It blesses my heart. Let's sing it together. All my hope is in none other than Jesus. I've been held by the Savior and I felt a fire from above and I've been down to the river I ain't the same a prodigal return here we go church seated. I'm going to talk about the Jesus movement in a few moments and in the Jesus movement we took Amazing Grace and set it to another common meter uh, song that was popular in the day, uh, The House of the Rising Sun, which was not a nice song, but we redeemed that tune. Do you know that one? And then we set it to the Coca-Cola jingle, Coca-Cola jingle. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'll teach those to you sometime. Yeah. 
There you go. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you today. Glad that you're here. I'm excited tonight, at, uh, this afternoon at 5 p.m. We have our uh, lake baptism. We'll invite you to come. Encourage you to get there early. Anytime between 3 and 5, we have a picnic. We have about 16 people to be baptized. And uh, we rejoice with them. You need to be there to welcome them and, and hope you'll be a part of that time of fellowship. I'm excited also about our new church year that begins next Sunday, launch Sunday. Um, students, kids, preschoolers move to new groups. New teachers begin to serve. Great time for you to reconnect. So maybe you um, are not in a connection group. You're just coming to worship. That's how most people start coming to church. That's normal. You've been coming to church. You've been looking at this, seeing, is this weird? What's this like? I want you to take the next step. Next Sunday's a great time to get in a small group. That's how we do discipleship. That is our that is our strategy for disciple making. You need to gather with other people, like same life situation, around the Word of God, get in fellowship. So if you haven't come, next Sunday is a great opportunity for you. Just go to the Welcome Center. They'll show you a list of classes, loosely age graded. You can find your group, something for kids every age at all three of our times. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. Our connection groups at 745, 830, and 945. Um, so we had uh, Daniel led us in prayer. We prayed for our connection groups. Uh, 30 or so people gathered this morning, maybe more. I'm 30 or so when I was there. Uh, and prayed for our connection groups. Prayed for you. Uh, prayed for people to, to reconnect. Uh, so we're excited about that as we begin a new year next week. Today I want to share with you about revival. I think our nation needs revival. Do you think it needs spiritual awakening, moral renewal? I believe it does. But it's not going to start with people out there. We sometimes, oh, our world's in a mess. Those people need to change. Yeah, but change does not happen, biblically or historically, from people out there. It happens in the church. So it's not when atheists are going to change or people who don't know God. It Renewal always begins with God's people. So it's us. You're the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its saltiness, we're in trouble. So we need to recover our saltiness that we may be the savor and the flavor of the world. So I want to share with you a pattern for how that happens. I want to look at the Old Testament example. There aren't New Testament examples of renewal, of spiritual revival. The reason being, the New Testament was written so Law, so closely to the events that happened there had not been enough time lag because spiritual revival follows spiritual decline there had not been a time of spiritual decline now right at the end of the New Testament you do get a call to renewal because by the seven churches of Revelation a few of them needed revival and God said to the church Jesus said to the church at Ephesus you've lost your first love that's when you need revival when you've lost your first love and it said consider how far you've fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. That's what revival is. So by the end of the New Testament, there was a call to revival. We just don't have the story to know whether or not that happened at the church at Ephesus or not. So to get a pattern or a model for revival, we need to go to the Old Testament, which has a much longer span of history that it covers. And I want to share with you today about the last and greatest revival in the nation of Israel before the exile. So we begin in 2 Chronicles 33 to see the need for revival. In 2 Chronicles 33, it tells about the reign of a king named Manasseh. And Manasseh ruled 55 years, a long tenure, and he was the worst of the kings of Judah. I'll read to you just a few verses from 2 Chronicles 33 that show the idolatry that he fostered and how bad things got. I'll begin in 33 verse 3. He, that is Manasseh, rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals. So Baal was the storm god. Baal was the rain god in an agricultural economy. You were tempted to conform to the culture around you and offer to Baal because they were all saying, hey, you want crops? You better get, you want rain? You better offer to Baal. So he set up Baal and made Asherah poles. Asherah was the female goddess of fertility. If you wanted your sheep and your goats and your cattle to be fertile and have multiply your flocks, then the culture was saying around them, you better put up an Asherah pole because Asherah brings fertility. And so it says he bowed down to the starry hosts and worshipped them. So he was into astrology, Manasseh was. 
He built altars in the temple of the Lord. So in the very temple of the Lord, he put pagan altars in the temple of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temples of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. Verse 6, he sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Terrible pagan practice of child sacrifice, and this king of Judah did that. He practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So he was into the occult and all of that, and uh, it aroused God's anger. Now, at the very end of Manasseh's life, he repented, but he had already set that pattern in Israel, and they continued in their sin. So after he died, his son Ammon came to the throne at age 22, in chapter 33, verse 21. Let me read you a brief summary of his reign. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he didn't humble himself before the Lord. Ammon increased his guilt. So there's a real period of spiritual decline in the nation of Judah. And it says in verse 24, Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. So at age 24, just two years after he began to reign, he was assassinated. And so his son, the grandson of Manasseh, the son of Ammon, Josiah, becomes king at eight years old. His father has been assassinated at such an early age that his son, who is next in line, is only eight years old. And this boy king, is used of God to bring about Judah's greatest revival. Chapter 34, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, his mother was Jediah. She was on the scene. I'm sure she helped him. But Josiah was a boy king. And we read how revival began. And the, the text marks it by his age or by his years of reign. So here's the first thing that happened in verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign. So how old would he be? He's eight when he started reigning. The eighth year he'd be 15. At the end of his eighth year he'd be 16, right? So he's 15 or 16 years old. Let me say to you, 15, 16 year olds who are here today, many revivals have happened through a young generation. You could be the, the generation that brings revival to America. I pray to God that you will be. When you see things differently than a previous generation. So if you're a high school or college student today, I'm praying God will use you to bring renewal to this nation. And that is what happened uh, in, with Josiah. My experience was something similar to Josiah. I was saved when I was eight years, nine years old, almost the same as Josiah. But at 15, I experienced revival in my life. When I was 15, I felt called to preach. I'm saying to you young people, you can be used of God and you can experience spiritual renewal. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Revival begins when we seek God. You want to experience renewal in your life? Would you seek God? Not just what God can do for you, but would you seek, as Paul said, I want to know Christ. Many people in our culture know, Saul, know uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. According to Google, it's the most Googled, most shared verse, even above John 3, 16. Now, Je Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right? A lot of people know that verse. We need to know Jeremiah 29, 13. Let me listen, share with you two verses down what it says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I want to say to you today that God is findable. You want to know God? If you can find God. He's findable. Now, you'll have to seek him with all your heart. He is not always obvious. Jesus said that God has hidden himself from those who are wise, that he might reveal himself to children. What does that mean? 
That means that if you think you got it all together and you know it all, you're a know-it-all, you're not going to find God. He's going to hide himself because he's not going to reveal himself to somebody with that kind of mindset. But if you will say, God, I need you. I've messed up. I can't do this life on my own. I want to know you. I'm tired of my will. I want your will. I want your ways. I seek you. Then the Bible says, God says, You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Today, you can know God. You'll seek him. Uh, Is there a seeking of God in your life? Or has it gotten old where you're just going through the routine and there's no real seeking for God? Revival begins when we seek God. There's a second marker in uh, Josiah's life. It's in the same verse, the latter part of verse 3. It says, in his 12th year. So how old is he now? Well, in his 12th year, he's 19 or 20, right? Began to reign at age 8. So he's 19 or 20 years old. Let me say to you 20 years old, 20 year olds. This can be a time of renewal in your life. You've gotten out of high school, you've tried things out for a couple of years. You come to see, I need God. And in his 20th year comes another stage of knowing God and revival in his life. I pray it'll be so with you. In his 12th year, 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places Asherah poles and idols. Remember we read about those? His grandfather Manasseh had set them up. Ammon had not taken them down. But now he does. Under his direction the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. And he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altar. So these priests to these foreign gods that had been revered and were in tombs, they got their bones out of the tombs and burned them. And he purged Judah and Jerusalem. Let me share with you, revival gains momentum when we purge our lives of idols. So if you want to experience renewal, revival, you've got to get rid of the idols in your life. Is there any idolatry in your life? Revival is disruptive. It is even violent. It's going to take some change. You don't just add it on to your life. Do you notice the verbs that we read here in those verses? Look at them again in your Bible. Purge, burn, tear down, cut, smash, break, burn, purge. You hear all those verbs? They're all They're all disruptive, aren't they? They're all destructive. You've got to destroy before you can build your life. And so what you want to experience spiritual renewal, you've got to look at those things that have crept into your life that are idolatrous. Is there anything in your life more important than God? Is there anything that has taken your affection, your worship, your attention more than God? Idols in your life. Now, we don't have Asherah poles and veils, thank God. And our idols are a little more sophisticated and invisible perhaps, but just as real and just as deadly. And a sin can be an idol. And you're holding on to something in your life that you know is wrong, an addiction, a habit, a sin pattern. And you know it's wrong as a Christian, but you, you still want that in your life. And it's become idolatrous because it's keeping you from God. It's bigger than your worship of God. And you've got to admit that. And there has to be some disruption purging, tearing down, cutting up. You hear it? Now, an idol can also be not just a sin or pattern of sin, but it can be a good thing in your life. You see, there are good things that become idolatrous. Family, for example, is a good thing. God wants you to give your best to your family, but when your family comes above God, it's become an idol. Nothing should be in first place in your life but God. So it can be that there are good things, a pursuit of pleasure or, or, or sports or family or other good things that have just sort of taken over in your life and have kept you from being able to worship and being able to serve God. You can't serve because your weekends are all taken up with all your other pursuits. Oh, I'd love to serve. I can't serve. And you need to rip up some stuff in your life. The biggest idol It's not sports, pleasure, entertainment, family. Our biggest idol is self. And we're self-centered, and you've got to get self off the throne and God on the throne. And so you 
Or maybe the thing that needs to be taken down a notch in your life, what do you need to purge? What's God saying to you that you would purge? Revivals begin and can gain momentum with confession of sin. I'll tell you about a revival. It happened in 1995 at Coggin Avenue Baptist Church in Brownwood, Texas. The mid-90s was a blip of revival on the North American landscape. I prayed it would become a culture-wide revival. It did not. Promise keepers, other things in the mid-90s, but we, we didn't see full-fed revival. But we saw regional revival, and it affected 100 college campuses, and it began in Brownwood, Texas, a college town of Howard Payne University, when John Avent, the pastor, at the 8.30 service, started a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, preached the first sermon, the end, a college student named Chris came down and said, I want to confess my sin. The pastor let him speak, and he confessed some sin in his life. And some, an older lady then stood up and confessed her sin. And that kept going until the 11 o'clock service. They were peering in back there. What's going on in there? Why are they still in there? And those people came in, and it continued throughout the afternoon. And it spread to a hundred college campuses in the mid-90s. That morning, a, a rancher couldn't come to church at Coggin Avenue, 50 miles away. He was delivering a calf. The cow was having problems. It was a cold January day. He and the ranch hand sat in the truck to warm up and turn the radio on. The 11 o'clock service in the midst of that was on. That ranch hand accepted Christ as his savior in the cab of that truck. And stories like that were all across the region. Is that revival? Where did it begin? It began by somebody who tore down some things in his life. Oh, God, do it again. There's a third marker in Josiah's experience. It says in verse 8, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. So he was 16 when he began to seek God. He was 20 when he tore down all the idols. Now how old is he? Well, the 18th year... He's uh, 25, 26 years old, right? Let me speak to you 26-year-olds here today. Oh, I pray that your generation will change the course of America. I pray that your generation will do what Josiah did here. Let's read about it. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They'd let the temple had gone into disrepair. Well, it had all these idols and all these altars in it, and it just fallen in. There was no consciousness of the name of God being there. And while they're cleaning out the temple, they find a scroll. They find a book. Verse 15 says, Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord, and he gave it to Shaphan. They'd gotten so far from God, they'd lost the Bible. That's pretty bad in church when you lose the Bible. They, they had. They'd gotten so far from God. We think this is the book of Deuteronomy. Four times in the book of Deuteronomy, it is referred to as the book of the law. In Joshua, it refers to, or excuse me, in Kings, it refers to Deuteronomy and calls it the book of the law. And what this message that we're going to hear about fits Deuteronomy. I think this is the book of Deuteronomy they found. And they found this scroll, and it says... Uh, Verse 18, Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So they read Deuteronomy to the king. And in verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes that, in their culture. That's how you show that you were moved, that you were repentant, that you were, that, that you were in sorrow. And he ripped his robes. And he wanted to know, because Deuteronomy, if you read it, is a book that shares blessings and curses. It's Moses' farewell sermon. He reviews all the law, and then he says to them in a final challenge, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. And he goes through a long list of blessings and curses. He wondered, are these still in effect for our day? Is this going to happen to our nation? And so he, went, he sent word to Huldah, a prophetess in the land, and said, are these curses going to come on us? And Huldah said, yes, God is going to destroy this nation, but because you have repented, he's not going to do it in your lifetime. 
He's going to forestall it. My prayer for America is that we will be turned from the judgment of God. But if not, I pray at least he'll forestall it. And so, in verse 29, when he'd heard from Huldah, the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. So everybody get together. Revival is always corporate. It's always when people gather. Revival will cause people together. You don't have to beg people to come to church. Revival will make people want to come to church. And they gathered all the people in the last, and they read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So they're all, he's standing by the pillar at the front of the temple. And they read the book of Deuteronomy. Everybody stands there for hours and, and listens to this book read. Hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Verse 31, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. So he pledges himself to do what this book says. And then verse 32, then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Here's what we learn. Revival takes root when we rediscover the Bible and began to obey it. Now our problem today is not that we've lost the Bible. We got lots of Bibles. You probably got several at your house. Our problem is that we are over familiar with the Bible and we think we've read it and we think we know it all and it's just has lost interest to us and we'd rather read something else or watch something else. And familiarity, Aesop says, breeds contempt and that's what happens with us. We become familiar with it and it breeds contempt. We just don't have a lot of eagerness. We don't lap it up like a thirsty dog lapping up water. We just get to it in our connection groups after we've done our prayer requests and sports reports and weather discussion and whatever. So we're, we're just, we don't have that eagerness for it. And revival will come. It'll take root when we rediscover the Bible and we begin to obey it. When we pledge ourselves, I want to read this book so I'll know what to do. And that has happened in revivals. The last major revival, the last culture-wide revival in our nation, I was a part of it. It was in 1967 to 1975. It was the Jesus movement. And again, it was a revival of, of young people. It started in Haight-Ashbury in uh, San Francisco, spread across the country. And I was in high school, and kids started bringing their Bibles every day to school. Nobody told them to. Nobody suggested that, and in study hall, when you had time, people would just be reading. I can remember looking out across a study hall in my high school, and I, I bet half the people are reading the Bible. And, and that just, I know it seems totally foreign to you. You think, well, that never happened again. It never could happen. I'm telling you that when revival comes, there is a rediscovery of the Bible and a desire to obey it. And there were hundreds of kids in my high school of 700 people who would have an algebra book and an English book and a Bible going down the hall every day. There was a rediscovery of the Word of God. And that was the last culture-wide revival in our nation. It was 45 to 50 years ago. My lifetime prayer that I pray over my lifetime is that God would let me see that one more time, that he would let me live to see culture-wide revival in our nation one more time before I die. I don't know if he's going to grant that request or not. He's going to have to get with it pretty soon here in the next few years. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but that's my prayer. That is my lifetime prayer to God. I have experienced that. I pray to God he'll let me see that because I believe without that, we are doomed as a culture. I believe without that, we have no hope. I am not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. The kingdom of God will go on fine without the United States of America, but I love the United States of America, and I had rather this nation be prolonged and flourish and be again what God wants it to be. He doesn't have to have us. His kingdom will do fine centered in Africa and Southeast Asia, which appears where the kingdom is going to be centered because it's not centered in North America now. But I pray to God that he will again revive us.
and we'll see that. There's one more thing. It's still in the 18th year, but there's another development. It says in chapter 35, verse 1, Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. So Deuteronomy said, you're supposed to observe the Passover once a year to remember when I brought you out of slavery in Egypt, and so you roast a lamb for each family, or if there's a big, uh, small family, you can come together and get a lamb, and you're supposed to do that every year. So Deuteronomy said to do that, they hadn't been doing that, they returned to obedience, and Josiah had them do that, and he gave 30,000 lambs for 30,000 families of people who came together. Some of the other officials gave a total of 7,600, so we got about 38,000 sheep, 38,000 families probably. And they brought them to the priest, and they slit the throat, and they collected the blood, and the priest poured the blood at the base of the altar. I think they had some kind of drainage system because 38,000 sheep is a whole lot of blood. I'm just amazed at the blood. They would not have much trouble understanding this power in the blood stuff that we sing about because they saw rivers of blood on that Passover day. And then the Levites skin them. So the priests drain the blood, hand it off to the Levites, and they skin it. I don't know how many Levites it takes to skin 38,000. Probably a, if you did 1,000 Levites, that's 38 a day. I don't know. They had to get them all done in this day. Maybe 2,000 Levites. I don't know how many Levites there were. They skin them. And then every family took it home and roasted it. And they ate that Passover meal. And here's the summary verse in chapter 35, verse 18. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. None of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. They got it right for the first time since the days of Samuel. None of the, they'd done the Passover before. But none of them had done it obeying every detail of Deuteronomy as Josiah had until this day. Here's the deal. Revival achieves its goal when we return to right patterns of worship. And the result of revival will be that personally in your life and corporately in your church, you will be eager to worship. Let me tell you about one more revival. In 1904, the Welch Revival broke out when one young man, age 26, ironically the same age as King Josiah, named Seth Roberts, prayed in a prayer meeting, Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. The next night, he led a, October 31st, 1904, led a prayer meeting. Three people were saved. Had it again on Tuesday night, and six people were saved. By November, 800 were coming. It had spread to churches. And uh, a few years ago, before they died, they interviewed the last surviving, those remembered. And they would tell about, they said, most churches had services two a day. Two times a day. Most, most of the churches in, in Wales had, during that, two years. You see... You return to right patterns of worship. There's an eagerness to worship. And they said the churches would be full, filled with people when no service was going on. They were just seeking God. A hundred thousand people came to faith in Christ. Missionaries were sent over the world. The gambling industry shut down. The bars were empty, they say. The coal miners, many of them Welch were coal miners. They started worship in the coal mines. And they say ironically that the mules that pull that ore out on sleds had to learn a new language because they'd cussed at them so much and they didn't cuss at them and now they wouldn't respond when they they're supposed to go they had to retrain those mules because change had taken place so deep in their lives do it again lord i, I just pray god we'll do it again you can't control culture. That's, that's going to be the work of God. But you can experience revival in your life. Would you seek him? Would you purge your life of idols? Would you rediscover his word and obey it? And would you return to right patterns of worship? Would you pray with me? Oh God, I pray that revival would come again 
to America before it's too late. I pray, Lord, it might even begin here today. Regardless, Lord, I pray in our lives that if you're speaking to us now about our sin, about our failure to seek you, about our worship, or about our love for your word, I pray that you'll convict us, restore in us a fire and a fervor and a zeal to love you and serve you as first in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we have a public time of invitation. You want to pray for revival in your life or in our culture, you can come here and pray. If you want somebody to pray with you about something in your life, come to me. Otherwise, you can pray on your own. During this time of invitation, that is when we stand in a moment and sing, you can just step out and come. If you want to join our church, you can do that. If you want to accept Christ as Savior and be baptized tonight, you can come and do that. Or if you're not comfortable with that, you want to talk to somebody a little more, you can come to the Welcome Center meet me or another pastor right after the service or you can fill out a card if you don't have time today and we'll make an appointment later this week to talk with you just put your name or an email or phone number or whatever we invite you to respond as God speaks to you would you stand together as we sing Some people think you're distant, just some words on a page. That you're nothing more than fables handed down along the way. But I've seen you part the waters where no one else can pull me from the deep. That's who you are to me. Some people think you just live in cathedrals made of stone. But I know you live inside my heart. I know that it's your home. And in the eyes of a stranger on the street, it's who you are to me. Everything I need 
can be seated. As we close here this morning, your worship guide has got a number of really important announcements in there. The details for the lake baptism out of Barton Springs, that, all that information is there in your worship guide as well. Uh, just a couple of announcements that are not in there. Um, we're still in need. Now, this begins next week, right? We're praying for this new connection group here that begins next Sunday. So we've got seven days to find three teachers. We need a teacher in the three-year-old class. We need a teacher in the nine to 18 month old uh, class. And we need a seventh grade boys teacher. And so if you're uh, interested in that, have maybe been thinking about it, we've been announcing these for a couple of weeks. Um, please see Megan, you can see myself, you can see Daniel. Please come and, and make us aware that um, you, you've got some interest and in even finding out information. What does it look like? What are you asking? Um, what would be my responsibilities? Maybe you're just considering it. Whatever be, come and talk to us. We've got to find those three teachers uh, before next week. And so uh, maybe that's you. Come and let us know. We'd love to give you that information about it. If you're a first-time guest and you're wanting to speak with our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, as you're exiting these doors, he's going to be down the hall there to your left there at the welcome desk. And if you're a first-time guest, he's got a small gift for you there as well. I want to add something. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, we will start choir practice back. We will meet down in the choir room at 6 o'clock. Just going to be 30 minutes, 6, 6 to 6.30. And that way we can still get out to the, uh, to the Wednesday night. Um, CDP classes. CDP classes. Uh, we have worship. No, we have worship this oh, Wednesday. Yeah, this week, yes. Uh, sorry, sorry. This Wednesday, we have, we have one more outdoor worship service. 6 o'clock, choir practice in the choir room, 6.30, worship. And we'd love to see you there. Thank you, Todd. All right, so make sure you check out your worship guide for other important announcements, and let me close this out in prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, just for the chance to be here to worship, and Lord, uh, what a challenging story of the life of Josiah, and just your call to revival, and that's our prayer, God, that you use First Baptist just to begin uh, to change us, to change the folks here in this room, change our hearts, Help us, Father, to turn to you, to be revived by your spirit, and that a change in our community can begin uh, within the walls of this room. And that change can, can go out to the nations, Father. We thank you for your love, uh, that you don't give up on us, that you are a God of second chances and third chances, and a, and a God of renewing and uh, transformation. We just ask for your help in our lives now. It's in your son's name we pray. You're amazing, faithful, love's open door when I'm empty.